On this episode of the Breaking the Game Show, I am actually flying solo and I have a great show lined up. We're going to be talking about the big moments that have happened this past week in the NBA. We're going to talk Kevin Porter Jr. We're going to talk Jason Tatum. We're going to talk LeBron James. We're going to talk Luka Doncic versus Russell Westbrook and Bradley Bill. We're going to talk about the Phoenix Suns and the Denver Nuggets. This is a fun show. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. We'll be right back after this break. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Break in the Game show here on the Nothing But Nat channel on Dash Radio. I'm Stephen Gillespie, and today's show, I'm going to do something a little bit different. You guys are used to seeing me either grace with the presence of my awesome co-host, Austin Carr. You're used to either seeing me with him or other great people that we have at the Off the Ball Network or at least an outstanding guest. But today we're going to be doing something a little bit different. You're going to have to put up with me, excuse me, just kind of looking off to the side real quick right here because I'm running everything by myself today. It's a big moment for me. I'm excited to do this solo show today. And it wasn't due to the fact that I couldn't have had anybody beside me, you know, at any given moment. I had people offer to come on here. Really just wanted to try something different today. So I appreciate everyone tuning in today. Before we get going, I want to remind everyone that support for Breaking the Game is brought to you by Manscaped, who is the best in men's below-the-waist grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. They obsess over their technology developments to provide you the best tools for your grooming experience. Manscaped is trusted by over 2 million men worldwide. You're looking at talking to one of them right now, and I have an exclusive offer for our listeners today that's 20% off and free shipping with code BTG at manscaped.com. And before I get into today's show, we got a great show lined up, by the way. Today's show is going to be entitled Big Moments. And as this is a big moment for me, coming to you live by myself, the NBA has had a a whole bunch of big moments this past past week, and I can't wait to get into them. But I just want to share with you guys a little bit about Manscaped. Manscaped has great products all around. You know, for obviously the big thing is the Lawnmower 3.0. It handles great. It's well-balanced. It feels good while you're holding it. You don't have to wince while you're using it. It has definitely helped me in my personal life, and that I'll leave it at that. I'll keep it a family-friendly show. But also their clothing. I have one of their T-shirts. It's very comfortable. I have a whole bunch of their boxers. They're some of the best boxers that I've ever owned, no lie. Uh, the, the foot duster is really comfortable. You know, midday after a hard day work, you spray your feet down. It leaves you feeling refreshed. So Manscaped, is definitely the way to go if you're trying to better yourself personally as I am. And I'm sure you all are looking to do the same thing too. So speaking of developing and bettering yourself personally, we're going to get into some of the biggest moments that happened throughout this past week in the NBA. And we're going to start off first with Kevin Porter Jr., who on Thursday the 29th against the Milwaukee Bucks, he put up 50 points, 11 assists. Now, usually when you see a 50-point night, That person is usually a little bit more selfish with the ball, right? You know, they don't really look to hand the ball off to anybody else. So putting up a 50 and 11 game is outstanding. He also had five rebounds. He went 16 of 26 from the floor, which is 61%. Nine of 15 from deep, which is about 60%. 
And then nine of 11 from the free throw line, which is 82%. Now he didn't do, (laughs) obviously he didn't win the game by himself, right? Christian Wood, who has been out of the games for quite some time now, looked like he was going to be one of the most improved players this season. Obviously, it hasn't worked out that way due to the amount of games that he missed. But when he has played, he's been very good. He had 31 points, nine rebounds and four assists. Kelly Olenek, who they did acquire in a couple team deal that sent Victor Oladipo to the Miami Heat. He put up 24, 13 and four. Now, back to Kevin Porter Jr., he's one of only four players, and he's in the same company as LeBron James, Devin Booker, and Brandon Jennings. Y'all remember him from you know his days in Detroit and Milwaukee. They all had 50-point game at his age, too. So he's an elite company by some degree. I mean, if you look at the scale on one end, you got Brandon Jennings, who unfortunately is no longer in the NBA. And then on the other end of the scale, you have one of the best to ever do it. Then somewhere in the middle is Devin Booker, probably closer to the upper middle than the lower middle, but still. So you got Kevin Porter Jr. having this huge night, you know, just absolutely dominated the game against Milwaukee, which is a tough team to dominate. I mean, you just watched them put the clamps on Brooklyn against Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. Granted, they had no James Harden, but for them to give up, you know, 50 points to one player that speaks a lot to the night that Kevin Porter Jr. had. Now, a lot of people are looking at this and saying, ah, you know, remember when Cleveland just basically gave them up for nothing? They're 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 trying to bury Cleveland. And rightfully so, Cleveland has made a ton of mistakes. I mean, obviously, LeBron James has left that, you know, that team, that organization twice. So obviously, they haven't historically handled themselves the best way. But can we kind of pump the brakes a little bit on the whole they gave up Kevin Porter Jr. for nothing? First off, they had to move off of him. You know, there was a whole lot of things that were happening with him and that organization. And basically, this he he painted himself into a corner. He had to be moved off that team. He was arrested on gun charges along with having marijuana in his vehicle, which, you know, you can argue that side any different way. But it doesn't it certainly doesn't help whenever you see someone arrested with gun charges Oh, and then there's also marijuana involved, right? Uh, at one point, he allegedly punched the woman in the face, but the investigation didn't find anything of s- substantial. But again, it's one of those things you don't want to see your player involved or at least in allegations of assaulting anybody, right? Uh, he had an altercation with the Cavs general manager, Kobe Altman, after his locker room was moved without his knowledge, to which he made a statement that equated the move to basically modern day slavery. So, when you get in a shouting match with your general manager, you're accused of certain things. Obviously, oh, and on top of that, this season he was fined $50,000 for being at a strip club during COVID protocols. And, you know, you know the gentleman's club, if you want to call it that, not going to argue whether or not you should be at those places on a moral standpoint. But the fact that you can't be in an indoor facility with more than 15 people in accordance with your job's own protocols, that is something that you just cannot do. So he has had a history. Oh, and at USC, he uh, was suspended indefinitely for a couple things. Almost was kicked off his team. So this player has a history of not necessarily doing the right thing all the time. But he's on a coaching facility now where he's got John Lucas there, you know, Steven Silas. Hopefully he can kind of find himself a little bit and develop himself a little bit better professionally in Houston kind of flying under the radar a little bit and gaining himself as far as his status in the NBA. Hopefully he can find himself, but we need to move off the notion that Cleveland just gave up on him for nothing because there was a lot of reasons why they had to move off of him. 
And on top of that, we need to stop acting like they gave him up for nothing. They did give him up for, yes, a heavy, a heavily protected second round pick, but it was better than just cutting him. You know what I mean? So we need to move off of that. And even whenever Cleveland looked to move off of him, Kobe Altman, the general manager who was accused of performing, you know, slave like or, you know, slave owner type behaviors came out and said that Kevin has a bright future ahead of him as a professional basketball player and at his core is still a good person. Now we can dissect that whole at his core aspect of it and say he's not being the best person right now, but we do see areas in him personally, professionally, that he can build upon to be that good person that everyone wants him to be, which I thought was a classy move. It may be a little bit of politicking on his on his part, but he still said it. The, issue, the statement's still there. Gave it the Houston Rockets, I guess, a good enough of a warm fuzzy to feel like, okay, we can add him and build upon this growing younger team with just Sean Tate, Christian Wood. You know, they're going to have draft picks coming down the line at some point. So it was still a good night, though, for Kevin Porter Jr. Putting up 50 and over 11 points, you're responsible for probably two thirds of your team scoring output that night. On top of, like I said, Christian Wood. And Kelly Olenek combining for over 50 points. A lot of those assists came off of Kevin Porter Jr. making plays. So now we're going to transition to Jason Tatum in the night that he had on the 30th, which was Friday, if you're wondering. He played against the San Antonio Spurs, and the Celtics enjoyed a 143-140 to overtime victory in that matchup. Now, Jason Tatum and the Boston Celtics have largely disappointed overall the entire season granted Jason Tatum hasn't really done anything to deter people and how they view him now if you look at the ESPN's 25 players under the age of 25 you can maybe argue that a different way me personally if you go to the offballnetwork.com where you can get all of your sports needs I posted an article on there saying that Jason Tatum is the second best player under the age of 25 in the NBA and I put him over Zion Williamson behind Luka Doncic. So you can argue that any which way, and you look at the season that Zion is having, Jason Tatum is arguably the second best player because I find that he plays a more valuable position if you still believe in positions in the NBA. And the amount of times that he has a ball in his hands, the the different types of shots that he can and is already taking compared to Zion, you want to see Zion develop into kind of the shot taker, develop some sort of a shot portfolio that Jason Tatum already has. Zion doesn't have that yet. And I look at the just the overall playmaking ability that Jason Tatum has already in the NBA. And this could be something that he builds upon year by year by year. But in that night, he had a 60-point game with eight rebounds, five assists. He was the only Boston Celtic player over 20 points. Jalen Brown had 17. And the rookie, Aaron Nismith had 16. The Boston Celtics at one point, they were down by 32 at one point in this game, which is absolutely a huge comeback by today's standards. Usually when a team falls behind 32, you kind of see them mail it in. Brad Stevens easily could have looked at them and said, ah, it's not our night. Let's get some of the younger guys in there to develop and get some meaningful reps in. But no, they they held to their guns. Jason Tatum willed this team. And when people ask who adequately represents the mob mentality in today's NBA, a lot of people will look at a guy like Jimmy Butler or a guy like Russell Westbrook. And yes, if you their mindset, the way that they think that they're the best player on the court, 
the standard that they hold their teammates up to. Absolutely agree. But if you just look at play on the court, Jason Tatum and Kobe Bryant was one of his, you know, all-time favorite players. He worked with him in the offseason. Things like you can see so much Kobe Bryant in Jason Tatum's game, especially when he's putting up 60 points, eight rebounds, and five assists, right? You know, again, the Celtics at one point were down by 32 points. But Tatum had a great night. He went 20 of 37 from the floor. That's 54%. He went 5 of 7 from deep. That's 71%. And went 15 of 17 from the line. That's 88%. This 60-point outbreak by Tatum is his new career high, and it tied legendary Boston Celtic legend. That's Larry Legend, Larry Bird, for the most points scored in a single game in Celtics history. Now for the detractors who would say, yeah, but Larry Bird didn't need overtime to accomplish such a feat. Okay, sure, but you can still acknowledge the fact that Jason Tatum had a phenomenal evening. He put the team on his back. Again, it was the only Boston Celtic player that scored over 20 points in that game. Now, this was the second game in the month of April that Tatum posted 50 points or more in a game. Again, another overtime bout. He put up 53 points against the Minnesota Timberwolves. He's had four games over 40 points this season, three during that last week. So if you look at Jason Tatum and the work that he's putting in, he is trying everything he can to will the Boston Celtics back into maybe fourth place. Right now they're sitting at about sixth place. They are locked up with Miami, basically hand in step with where they look in the Eastern Conference standings right now. But right now Boston is in sixth place in the Eastern Conference. They're tied with Miami. They hold the season advantage one game to zero. They have to play them two more times this season. And their record, again, is 34-30, eight games left on the year. They look like they're going to be playing Portland, Orlando, Chicago. Again, Miami, they're playing twice. Cleveland, Minnesota, and New York. Now, this isn't the most daunting schedule. Boston is kind of lucking out towards the end of their year after a disappointing start to their season, right? I look at a game like Portland, That's going to be hard to do. Orlando, you would like to think that Boston can secure a win against Orlando with having one of the former Magic on their team now in Evan Fournier and seeing them trade away Nikola Vucevic and Aaron Gordon. They have brought in R.J. Hampton, who by all accounts is having a great time in Orlando playing alongside Cole Anthony, two guys that many thought were going to be in the top 10 in the the NBA draft. They look like they're going to have a great backcourt for years to come. And again, Chicago, that's easily that could be a win. Miami, you would like to think that they split that series already holding a one-game advantage. Cleveland, you would like to think that they can win that game. Minnesota, for whatever reason, they're on a <laughs> they have been on an incredible win streak over the last few games. It looks like they want to give up their draft pick to Golden State. And I don't know why they're wanting to do that, but wrapping it up against New York, that's going to be a tough matchup. And that could be a playoff preview game that we see Boston and New York face off against each other in the postseason. Now, Boston has been largely disappointing, and if you go to offtheballnetwork.com, I posted an article that had seven coaches that could be filling their seats warm up a little bit. And yeah, Brad Stevens is one of these coaches. And when you have two guys who I put in the top 25 under the age of 25, you have two players of that caliber. You have an all-NBA defender, and Marcus Smart, you have another All-NBA player in Kemba Walker who used to be an all-star level. Granted, injuries have kind of taken away from that. Brad Stevens has all the players and all the talent on this team. Peyton Pritchard has had an incredible rookie year. 
He's got guys on this team, but for whatever reason, it's kind of isolation hero style basketball. And it's frustrating to watch a team that has so much talent on their roster, not want to move the ball around. And with Danny Ainge, yes, you can make the argument that he should have brought in, he should have brought in Miles Turner from Indiana. He shouldn't have been super picky wanting TJ Warren, you know, bringing in Doug McDermott along with Miles Turner. That would have addressed so much of the needs that we look and see that Boston has. Yeah, you can make that argument, but Danny Ainge is not going to fire himself. The next move that I think Boston makes if they underwhelm in this postseason is going to be a coaching change. Now, on my on my article, I had a color scale. Yellow is the lowest. Orange is the middle. Red is the highest. I gave Brad Stevens an orange because he has had success as this Boston coach, you know, going to three out of the last four Eastern Conference Finals. But we see that teams and front offices and even players, they get frustrated when they hit this glass ceiling. And sometimes all it takes to make a jump is a coaching change. Look at what Philadelphia is doing with Doc Rivers right now. You can't tell me that the coaching change hasn't equated to the amount of success that they've had so far in this regular season. Brad Stevens, by all accounts, I think that he is a tremendous coach. But we see it in the NBA so often that coaching changes happens so often you know you don't have your Greg Popoviches around the NBA anymore so many guys rarely ever stay in one spot Eric Spolstra is is another one people think that Rick Carlisle has always been in Dallas that that's not the case he has coached in other places before and look at Nate McMillan what he's doing in Atlanta he is still performing under the, under the interim tag in Atlanta although he has basically got the most out of this Atlanta Hawks roster with all the injuries that they sustained and the trade that they made to bring in Lou Williams. So moving off of a coach isn't necessarily a a crimson mark because other teams are going to be moving off of coaches too. And they're going to look at the success that Boston has had underneath Brad Stevens. And maybe that coaching move is all that it would take for Brad Stevens to look at himself, you know, completely unbiasedly and say, Maybe there's things that I can do better as an NBA head coach than what I was doing in Boston. Sure, I had some level of success, but maybe a little bit of our glass ceiling was due to my inability to make different looks and changes. Now, we have one of our fellow Off the Ball Network guys, Barcia, comes in and says, who wins in seven games, Boston or the Knicks? If you ask me today... I'll give you a different answer than I probably would tomorrow. I think personally, the way that the Knicks are playing, they're playing playoff style basketball. But again, it depends on what Boston Celtics team shows up in that seven game series. You have Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. That right there gives you a chance against any NBA team, no matter who it is. But with the way that Tom Thibodeau has handled the New York Knicks, the response that we have been getting from Julius Randle, the incredible rookie play out of Emmanuel quickly, the growth and improvement that we've seen out of RJ Barrett. We've seen so many guys, Derek Rose, Reggie Bullock, Nerlens and Will accept a role underneath coach Tom Thibodeau and have excelled in doing so. So today I, unfortunately, as much as I like so many people on the Boston Celtics, I think New York roughs them up too hard. You know, they have, they have advantages in certain positions and playing types that Boston doesn't necessarily necessarily hold an advantage. But I think that the New York Knicks would beat Boston in probably a six or seven game series. But 
moving on, we're going to talk about another matchup that happened in the NBA. And this was just yesterday. If you're listening on the Nothing But Net channel on Dash Radio, first off, I just want to say thank you so much for your support. You know, keep tuning in. We'll have more great shows like this one. But if you're listening to this on the on the Nothing But Net channel on Dash Radio, you're hearing me on Monday. This is recorded on Sunday. So when I say yesterday, I'm referencing Saturday, May 1st, when the Dallas Mavericks and the Washington Wizards faced off against one another and the Mavs won that game in very thrilling fashion, a 125 to 124 game. I'm going to work my way up with the level of performances that have happened through this game. So we'll start with Bradley Bill. He finished with 29 points in this game on 9 of 20 shooting. That's 45%. Went 1 of 5 from deep. That's 20%. And 9 or excuse me, 10 out of 11 from the free throw line. That's 91%. He also had four boards, three assists, two steals, and a team high in turnovers, three for him. Russell Westbrook finished with 42 points on seven of 30 shooting. That's 57%. Three of six from deep. That's 50%. And five of seven from the line, that's 71%. He would also finish with 10 rebounds and only nine assists. So since he didn't get his 10th assist, this game is a garbage game for Russell Westbrook. Why are you not getting a triple-double? Obviously, this is a little bit of tongue-in-cheek uh, on my end. But we've been used to, he's been spoiling us. We needed a triple-double from you in this game, Russell Westbrook. Had you got one more assist, you probably win this game. You only lost by one point. Uh, and that's not necessarily his fault. It may be the teammate who missed the shot fault. He also had two steals and two turnovers himself. Rui Hachimura would be the only other Washington Wizard in double figures. He had 18 points in this game. So the majority of your scoring came from three guys. You had Russell Westbrook, you had Bradley Bill, and Rui Hachimura. Nobody else for the Washington Wizards scored 10 or more points. So it's one of those events where three guys are doing 100% of the work, and it doesn't always work out for you when you have that output. Washington maintains the 10th spot in the Eastern Conference right now. They have a 29 and 35 record by the time you're hearing this. Uh, they're one and a half game back from the ninth seed, and they're three games in front of Chicago for the 11th seed. So, by all accounts, it looks like Washington might have this play in tournament locked up. And if that's the case, this is not the team that you want to see in the opening round. Even if you're the Brooklyn Nets, everything is looking like it's working out when you're fully healthy. They did just lose today to Milwaukee behind an incredible performance of Giannis Antetokounmpo, which we're not going to talk about tonight, unfortunately. But with James Harden back, it looks like they would have obviously won that game. And everyone wants to see the revenge game, so to speak, between Russell Westbrook and Kevin Durant. That's fun. You know, you got Bradley Bill squaring off against James Harden, two of the best shooting guards in the league. And then the whole circus act that comes with Kyrie Irving, uh, Joe Harris against whoever else on the Rui Hachimura, so to speak here. But Washington has done a great job of climbing up the ranks. I discussed this on a show that I did earlier with our president, Chris LeBron. Chris, if you're watching, thanks for having me on earlier. And we had an incredible panel of NBA experts from Off the Ball Network on that show. But Mo outlined how it looked like Washington was buried earlier in the season. And they and they truly were. But, you know, I don't know if it's necessarily the coaching of Scott Brooks but it may have just been Bradley Bill and Russell Westbrook needing to get on, to get on the court together to figure each other out, to figure who's going to be bringing the ball up most. Obviously, Russell Westbrook, his playing style, what he's the best at, what he's not the best at, it makes, this, it makes the most sense for him to have the ball in his hand more so than Bradley Bill because Bill can play off the ball 
just as well, if not better than he can with the ball in his hand. So they have they have broke their stride. They're eight and two in their last ten games. They when the New York Knicks were still in America's heart with that nine game winning streak, Washington was quietly behind them with that eight game win streak. They still have a lot to prove as far as you know depth. Obviously, in the playoffs is going to matter when the game slows down. That's going to matter. Coaching matchups. You know how is Scott Brooks going to fare against Steve Nash and Mike D'Antoni and the rest of that stellar coaching staff in Brooklyn. That's if they make it past, you know, Indiana and then whoever wins the matchup in the seventh and eighth seed, depending on who's there, because the Eastern Conference is so locked up in the middle, it's pretty crowded. However, Lucas Mavs would ultimately steal the win behind his performance. Now, I will say he did not win the game by himself. He found Dorian Finney-Smith with the go-ahead three with less than 10 seconds left. But back to Luka Doncic, because that's who I want to focus on on this map segment. He finished with 31 points, 20 assists, and 12 rebounds. He went 12 of 23 from the floor. That's 52%. Only one of six from deep. That's around 17%. I rounded up, so it looks a little bit nicer for you, Luca. I got you. And then he only shot six of 11 from the line. That's 55%. Now, what's interesting about all those stats is one that I didn't mention. He only had one turnover with his 30-20-10 game. And what's nuts about that, he's one of only four players in NBA history with a 30-point, 20-assist, triple-double. He joins Oscar Robinson, Magic Johnson, and the aforementioned Russell Westbrook. That's pretty elite company to be in for a third-year player. Now, when people look at Luka Doncic and they dissect his game and they say different things about him, I think people genuinely forget how young This kid is, yes, he was a pro in Spain. I get it. I understand that. I have an NBA podcast. I hope that you trust me when I say I understand his history. But NBA basketball is a completely different animal. The level of athleticism is off the charts. The coaching is completely different. The style of play is completely different. In in Europe, anyone who's listening or watching can back me up in this. Everyone needs to know how to dribble pass shoot. It's not always that way in the NBA. You do have physical freaks of nature who can do two of those things really well, maybe not the other one as well. And everyone can run fast, jump high, you know, super strong. No one wants to run into a screen set by a guy like Steven Adams or Zion Williamson, right? Luka Doncic came into this league young, but as a pro already, and then has learned the American style of play so well. He, he did not play this way in Europe. He is, he, certain aspects of this game, yes, did show themselves in Europe. But Luca playing NBA basketball is a sight to behold. He is what's crazy to me is that he is already 11th all times in triple doubles. He has 35 triple doubles, and in three seasons, he is already 11th all time when it comes to triple doubles recorded. He is also one of six players to have 20 assists and only one turnover in a game. I'm going to read this list of players and you tell me on top of the scoring aspect that he's done and the triple doubles that he's done and all the players that he's grouped in this 20 assists, one turnover game. He's in company with John Stockton, who had done this three times. He is, you know, the elite player when you when when we're talking in terms of assists here, Avery Johnson, who I honestly I was a little bit surprised that he had a 20, 20 assists, one turnover game. But I also remember Avery playing. He was a very heady, very smart player. That's why he did 
go, translate so well to go to be an NBA coach and a collegiate coach as well. Steve Nash, that one makes a lot of sense as well. Darren Williams. Now, some people may only remember Darren Williams on the end of his career when he was, you know, looking for a roster spot in Cleveland or even when he started playing in Brooklyn. If you remember the Utah version of Darren Williams, there was a logical, competent argument that you could have to where you could say, who's better between Darren Williams and CP3? And me, I unfortunately thought that Darren Williams was the better player because he was so much more athletic in his youth. He could explode off the court. He would dunk over people. But his passing ability was right there with CP3 in his prime. Now, granted, his prime has not lasted nowhere near as long as CP3 as we know that Darren Williams is no longer playing NBA basketball. But prime Darren Williams was a sight to behold. And Chris Paul, he's done this twice. I looked. Rajon Rondo is nowhere in here. I know that he's had a lot of assists in his NBA career, but the turnovers didn't correlate to the 20 assist games that he has had. So the last time that such a stat has happened, this 20 assists and one turnover in a game, it happened in 2016. And yes, ladies and gentlemen, it was the one and only Chris Paul who had done this last. So we're talking five years. This hasn't happened. And Luka Doncic has done it, has done it twice within a year's time frame. Yes, this is not even the first time that he has had a 30-20-10 game where he's had 30 points, 20 assists, 10 rebounds. This young man is amazing. He's incredible. He was the number one player on my top 25 players under the age of 25. And he's only going to get better. He's doing this without his second banana and Chris Tops Porzingis. And say what you will, I get it. I understand that he has not been available. The best ability is availability. That's what they say. That's what all the cats on the radio are saying nowadays. KP hasn't been available. Dorian Finney-Smith was his sidekick where he scored, I want to say it was 22 points, and he hit the game-winning three with less than 10 seconds left off of a stellar assist by Luka Doncic. Now, if we're talking about stellar assists and we're talking about one of the best to ever do it, and yeah, LeBron James used to be one of these cats that was on the top 25 players under the age of 25, considering he came to the NBA out of high school, one of the best to do it within that same level of distinction. LeBron James is back, ladies and gentlemen. And with that being said, the expectations are back with the Los Angeles Lakers because Anthony Davis has been trying to run the show without LeBron James. And he went one and four during the five games without LeBron James. Now, there is a debate that you could have, and I have had it on our show last week, if you remember you remember me talking with Austin about it, is that Anthony Davis is regarded so high as a top five, top ten player, but is he really? Because he is not a guy that you can look to as being your team's best player and expect consistent level of performance. And with yeah, five games, I totally understand. It's not the biggest sample size in the world, but how about his time in New Orleans? He had not had a lot of playoff success. I believe he only had one playoff series win during his time there, and he wasn't bereft of talent. He's had guys like Drew Holiday, who, again, just had a stellar game with, with uh, Milwaukee tonight. He's had guys like Julius Randle. Now, granted, he's he wasn't Julius Randle then as he is now, but he was pretty daggum close. That's why the New York Knicks wanted to sign him. right? So he's had guys on his team where he could have led them to success, but again, just because he's not the best number one guy, that doesn't mean that I'm saying that he's a bad player. He could be the best number two guy 
in the NBA. And granted, I shouldn't even say that he's the best number two guy. You're not allowed to say that anymore. He's the best 1B. Nobody wants to be a number two, but 1B is okay. So I'll take that back. Anthony Davis might be the best 1B in NBA history when it's all said and done. But back to LeBron James. We can't have an NBA conversation without talking about LeBron, especially when he comes back from the longest absence of his career. On Friday, April 30th, against the Sacramento Kings, one of the best to ever lace him up, LeBron James, made his return again from the longest absence of his NBA career in a 96-110 to loss. Uh, he last played on March the 20th in a loss to Atlanta. It, there, he only played about 10 minutes. Uh, LeBron finished that game back to the Kings game with 16 points, 8 rebounds, 7 assists. He played 32 minutes. Now, I'm going to pause right there and say some people are trying to make this big to-do about you shouldn't have played LeBron James 32 minutes. Now, let's kind of cool it there because everyone has been saying over the past several days that if the Lakers really needed LeBron James, he could have played before then. So it's kind of that double talk that I'm starting to really nail down on on some conversations in the NBA. You can't say, oh, well, LeBron James could have been back this whole time and then just so happens that he loses and say, oh, well, they shouldn't have played him that many minutes. He went 6 of 12 from the floor. That's 50%. 1 of 5 from deep. Not so hot there. That's 20%. And 3 of 5 from the line. That's 60%. Now, Anthony Davis had 22 points, 11 rebounds, 3 assists. The new AD, Andre Drummond, finished with 17 points and 7 rebounds. Now, the Lakers as a whole, they're not really looking that hot. They're fifth place in the Western Conference behind two just absolutely devastating injuries to their 1A and their, yes, their 1B, Anthony Davis. Um, but Overall, they're 36-27 and 27 on the season. That gives them fifth place in the West. They're only a half game above the Dallas Mavericks for the sixth seed, and they're six games back from the fourth place, or now, excuse me, third place Denver Nuggets, but now fourth place Los Angeles Clippers. So the Lakers have basically cemented themselves at best being the fifth seed with only about eight games left on the season. That's kind of scary because if they can't turn it around and I'm not going to sit here and say that they won't, but if they can't turn it around, they could easily find themselves looking at this play in situation. And that's not a place where you want to be because Dallas doesn't want to be there. They're not right now, but Portland is. And we have seen Dame Lillard do late game heroics, late season heroics to lift his team up. I suspect though, that LA is going to figure it out. And at worst, they're going to finish with the fifth place seed in the NBA Western Conference. Now, my buddy Mo Murphy of the Off the Ball Network came in and said, Stephen Coward, that means a lot to me, Mo. Thank you so much. Again, doing my best to run this show by myself. This was kind of a big moment for me, speaking of big moments, because I just want to kind of prove that I can do something different. And if not, then it's okay. I'll take that and move on with it. But back to this Lakers debate. The, the Lakers have, what, nine games left on the season. They had Toronto, Denver, Cleveland, or excuse me, the Clippers, Portland, Phoenix, New York, Houston, Indiana, and New Orleans. That's kind of a mixed bag when, it come, when you look at strength of schedule. Now, one thing I want to talk about with late season's th- strength of schedule is that not everybody is looking to do the same thing at the same time this late in the season. You can look at a team like, I don't know, say Phoenix. They're secured either the first or the second seed in the Western Conference right now. Are they going to try as hard in this game against the Los Angeles Lakers when they're already cemented, they're already going to be where basically where they're going to be for the rest of the season? Are they going to play hard against the Lakers? 
The Lakers, on the other hand, they have more to lose because they don't want to lose ground to Portland. Yes, my buddy Pat wrote in and says that the Portland game next Friday is huge. Absolutely. You cannot lose that game if you're L.A. to Portland. Now, you can also go back and say, well, they have LeBron James and Anthony Davis. It doesn't matter where they finish on this regular season. I agree with you. You know, Utah, Phoenix, they don't want to see L.A., especially in the first round. They don't want to see that. But I've been talking about this for quite some time now. Is is Are we sure that L.A. is going to finish the season healthy? Are we sure? Can we absolutely, without a shadow of a doubt, say that Los Angeles is going to finish this postseason healthy? I hope they do. I want everyone to be healthy. I'm not wishing anything bad, anything like that on anybody throughout the rest of the season. But we can't just assume that LeBron James is going to come back and will this team to another NBA championship. Now, he himself has wrote, say, that he doesn't think that he's going to be back to being where he was before this injury. Now, I don't know how much of that is true. I don't know how much of this is trying to paint this narrative that he's defied all odds and things like that. You know, far be it for me to say something like that about LeBron James. However, we don't know which angle he's trying to play because if he uses... Uh, you know, an angle like this, if they don't do well, maybe this is something that he points to and says, ah, well, see, I told you I had this ankle injury. I'm an old man now, which he is. He's he's doing a lot at an age that we're not used to seeing. I just don't know how much of it I can wholeheartedly believe because, look, listen, athletes have angles. They have agendas. They have biases just like us fans do. They They have a certain advantage that we don't where they understand the dynamics of front offices you know, teammates, politicking, you know, actually playing the game as opposed to just observing it. But I will say that they just they have as much agenda as we covering the game do now. So, again, it's largely believed that LeBron James is fully healthy and could have returned earlier if the front office felt this necessary. I'm not sure. And again, Anthony Davis, during his time coming back from injury without LeBron James, only one in four. That's not something that if you're L.A., you just invested a lot of money in Anthony Davis. That's not something that you want to look at and say, did we make the wrong decision to extend Anthony Davis? Obviously, you make that move. You know, he's obviously going to be movable. He's still a young man in today's NBA. So I'm not saying that they did the wrong thing in extending him, but this is something that you got to look at if you're the Los Angeles Lakers and say, can we trust Anthony Davis to carry it all by himself? Now, I want to turn my attention to the team that actually won this game. You know, I don't want to be another network. I don't want to be another show that focuses on LeBron James, even in a loss without giving any sort of love at all to the victor. Tyrese Halliburton and the Sacramento Kings, they beat the reigning NBA champion, Los Angeles Lakers, without De'Aaron Fox, without Harrison Barnes. Tyrese Halliburton, who's a rookie, led the way with 23 points, 10 assists and four rebounds. He was eight of 14 from the floor, four of eight from deep and three of three from the free throw line. So he led the way with this team without even necessarily blowing up, so to speak. But man, a lot of people are looking at what Anthony Edwards is doing in Minnesota and rightfully so he's having a heck of a season. We need to focus a little bit more on Tyrese Halliburton, you know, several guys on the network, myself, Austin, our buddy Lee from the Witch Carolina podcast and hoopsprospects.com. We love Tyrese Halliburton. He was my fourth player on my board. I almost put him over LaMelo Ball. And people will look at me and throw rocks at me or rotten vegetables or what have you and say that I'm crazy. Maybe I am, but I looked 
I look at Tyrese Halliburton, especially in a key signature victory like this where he's the man, and say, what more could you want out of a rookie player? I mean, he has so much old man game. Yes, I, I love the phrase old man game. He has so much of that to his game already that he's gonna when he starts figuring out the NBA, he's going to be a scary guy. Now, speaking of figuring out the NBA, the Phoenix Suns, when I planned this segment, when I talked about the teams that I wanted to cover, they were the number one seed in the Western Conference. However, the Utah Jazz played a game last night against the Raptors and won. So they are back a half game up of the Phoenix Suns. But I want to stay here on Phoenix. I want to talk about them. On Friday, April 30th, Phoenix would be the number one seed, and they did beat now the current number one seed, Utah Jazz, 121-100. to And yes, I understand Donovan Mitchell didn't play, and I understand that Mike Conley didn't play. I get all of that. But when you look at such a defeat like this where it was over 20 points, you could easily make the argument that had those two even been in this game, Phoenix would have given them a run for their money because they have been all season long. But before I get into that, I want to touch on Devin Booker in this game. He finished with 31 points, three boards, and two assists. He shot 13 of 19 from the floor. That's 68%. Two of five from deep. That's 40%. And a perfect three of three from the line. Mikhail Bridges would step up and have 18 points, three steals, and two blocks, kind of cementing himself as an all-NBA level defender in this game. Chris Paul, yes, he only had 12 points, but he had nine assists, three boards, a steal, and a block too. Phoenix held Utah to 43% shooting from the floor, 36% from deep, and forced 13 turnovers. Now, if you're super big in the stats, kind of like I can be, they held Utah to less than one point per possession. That is out freaking standing for a defense to hold another NBA or another professional sports team to under a point per possession, especially in the, and especially in the game of basketball. Oh, and Tory Craig, who the Milwaukee Bucks let go for some crazy reason. And this isn't like a Kevin Porter Jr. thing where they traded him for a protected second round pick. They actually cut him. They didn't get anything back from him. Milwaukee cut him. He has been a great asset for Phoenix. He had three blocks in this game. Oh, and by the way, they also out-rebounded Utah by eight. DeAndre Ayton had a team high, nine rebounds. Now, yes, Phoenix was first overall in the West, having an identical record at that time. This was before, again, when Utah beat Toronto. They had an identical record to Utah at 45-18, and but they held the tiebreaker, and the way this works is whoever has the, you know, the advantage in the overall season matchup, you know, whoever has that advantage, if it's a tiebreaker, if the two teams tie in terms of record, the team who holds the series advantage obviously would rank higher. Not only do they have the advantage, but they have swept Utah three games to zero. Yes, Phoenix has been responsible for 17% of Utah's losses this year. That's incredible for one team to have that impact on your loss on, on your loss column there. Again, Utah beat Toronto on May 2nd, or excuse me, May the 1st, uh, to be a half game ahead of Phoenix for the first seed. The Suns were also on a three-game win streak that's tied with Philly, Portland, and Dallas, trailing only... Uh, Denver right now and the Suns have nine games left on their season they have Oklahoma City who is allergic to winning right now or playing their best players Cleveland Atlanta New York the Lakers Golden State Portland and San Antonio twice so Phoenix has a chance to finish with the number one seed in the Western Conference and they have clinched a playoff berth the first time in 10 years that is something to smile about that's something to be happy about 
I didn't expect it. I did expect marked improvement from this team in adding Chris Paul, but I did not see them potentially being the number one seed in the Western Conference. Now, I on my own independently went and researched games without key rotational players for all NBA teams a couple of days ago. And I will point out that the two teams that are standing on top in the Western Conference right now have the fewest games without key rotational players missed of the entire Western Conference playoff picture right now. So basically, if I could try to reword that, if I lost anybody there, they have had the most games with their key rotational players all season long. And that is very important, especially in a season like this, which has been so strange. Now I want to shift gears. I want to kind of close out today's segment with talking about the Nuggets. I know I've been sounding lately like a Denver Nuggets bandwagon. I cannot help it. They have stayed relevant. They have stayed on track. They have done everything that they possibly have needed to do to finish with one of the better records in the Western Conference and be one of the more dominant teams, even without, yes, those key rotational players. Denver is winning a lot of games, ladies and gentlemen, and I want to start with Saturday's performance, May the 1st, against the Los Angeles Clippers, who were the third seed in the Western Conference. The Denver Nuggets logged their fifth consecutive win. That's the longest active winning streak in the NBA right now. Now, if you say, okay, well, you're talking about how great Denver is and they've won five games in a row, that's a little bit of correlation on causation, Stephen, right? Not necessarily, because since April 12th, they have not played a game since then with Jamal Murray. That's 10 games that they have played without Jamal Murray, who, if you remember him from the bubble, he was dropping 50-piece chicken dinners like it was nothing. Okay, so they have gone 9-1 and one without him during that stretch. Now, if you say, okay, well, Denver's a deep team. And, you know, when they first lost Jamal Murray, I say, yeah, you're right. You know, they got guys like Will Barton. Well, speaking of Will Barton, he hasn't played a single game since April 23rd. And Denver has gone 5-0 and without him. Okay, Stephen, well, you know, they lost Jamal Murray. They still have one of the best reserve point guards in the entire NBA in um, Monte Morris, right? Uh, no, he hasn't played a single game since April 16th. Now, if you're asking, okay, well, that maybe that's not that many games. Well, I mean, it's seven and one without him. So, to recap everything that I just said, the Denver Nuggets have gone nine and one without Jamal Murray. They have gone five and zero oh without Will Barton, and they have gone seven and one without Monte Morris. Now, who's been picking up the slack? We know everything about Nikola Jokic, and don't worry, I'm not going to just glaze over Nikola Jokic like the media likes to do now, or the NBA players like to do. I'm going to get to him here in a minute. But Michael Porter Jr. has been the guy that everyone has looked at and said, hey, man, you got to be the one to make the difference. He, Yes, he is in my top 25 players under the age of 25. He is 14th. And again, this isn't based off potential. This is a little bit of everything all mixed together. If you want to learn more about where I have guys and why, go to offtheballnetwork.com for all of your sports needs. There you will find my top 25 players under the age of 25. And even before you get into the list, I have a nice paragraph where I give a little bit of logic behind where I have guys put. Now, Michael Porter Jr. is 14th on that list. Maybe I do need to bump him up a little bit because since April 12th, and again, that's a significant date because that's when Jamal Murray has gone down and other players have kind of trailed off along the way too. Michael Porter Jr. has averaged 25.6 points per game since that date. 
He's also given you 6.7 rebounds. He shot 54% from the floor, 51% from the line, or excuse me, from deep, and 83% from the line. Now, newly acquired Eric Gordon, you would say, okay, well, they got Eric Gordon in a trade, so maybe he's been playing well. He's been playing okay, but he's only given you 10.3 points per game, 5.1 rebounds per game, 2.3 assists per game. He's shooting 57% from the floor, only 27% from deep, and only 71% from the line. So you would look at Michael Porter Jr. and say, okay, that makes sense. Maybe Aaron Gordon is picking it up. He hasn't really done a whole heck of a lot offensively. Now, granted, he doesn't need to on this team. He can come onto this team, be a little bit of that, you know, that dive man, and try to help them out a little bit more defensively because since they lost Jeremy Grant, their defensive identity has not always been there throughout this year, and that's something that they are hoping to address with the acquisition of Aaron Gordon from the Orlando Magic. And they did give up R.J. Hampton, who I was talking about earlier. I think that that's going to be a long-term move that they're going to look back on and be like, ah, maybe we should have traded Bull Bull. But, you know, if ifs and buts were candies and nuts, ladies and gentlemen, we'd all have a Merry Christmas. Now, back to Nikola Jokic and everything that he was doing. During this stretch, again, since April the 12th, he has averaged 26.6 points per game, 11.1 rebounds per game, 7.1 assists per game, and has shot 58% from the floor, 38% from deep, 88% from the line. Denver currently sits third in the Western Conference with a 43-21 record. They're only three games back from the first seed and only a half a game ahead of the fourth seed again because they just beat the Los Angeles Clippers. They hold a half game advantage from that spot. They have eight games left to play, and it's not going to be a very fun eight games to play at first. They play the Lakers, they play New York, they play Utah, they play Brooklyn, they play Charlotte, and then they have a couple games where it looks like they could win in Minnesota, Detroit, and then they close out against Portland. So they have done very well, that being the Denver Nuggets, playing without some key players, those key rotational players that I keep discussing. They have done a very good job of playing without them. But this eight-game stretch with the Lakers, that's going to be tough to play. That might be an early playoff indication based off of where these two finish on the year. New York, they probably won't see each other again after this game, but who knows? Stranger things have happened. Utah, that could be another playoff indication. Brooklyn, if everything goes right for Denver and everything goes right for Brooklyn, obviously you could see that. Charlotte, I don't foresee them seeing <laughs> seeing each other again later on in the year. Minnesota. They're not going to be in the playoff mix. This will be the last time they see them. Ditto that for Detroit. And then Portland, maybe they see them. So they're not only going to have to play these these games once to close out the year. Some of these games, I'm predicting a couple, they're going to have to see them again in the playoffs. Now, again, I mentioned about how you don't want to... you don't want to assume that everyone is going to be doing the same thing to close out the end of the year. Some teams are going to be clawing and scratching, trying to fight their way up the rankings to avoid certain matchups. Other teams are going to be fairly comfortable with where they sit to close out the year. Denver might be one of those teams that says, you know what, we have a lot of injuries. We know where we're at with everyone. We know who we can expect to be there to do certain things. Roles are defined. Coaching style is defined, you know, rotations, substitutions, all of those important kind of minutiae things that we don't necessarily think about on a minute to minute basis. Maybe Denver looks at this and says, you know what, maybe we can kind of slow it down a little bit. 
I hope they don't, but it could be one of those things. A lot of teams like to do that. Now I want to go back to Nikola Jokic. A lot of people, including myself, kind of fell victim to this lazy narrative to say, ah, well, with all the injuries that have happened, of course Nikola Jokic is going to be the MVP. I have said that. You have heard me say these things. You know what? That's not really Nikola Jokic's fault that other people have been getting hurt. We've seen people try to push Joel Embiid back into the narrative when he came back. And since he's came back from injury, he has missed game. So it's not just the injury with in terms of missing time with him. It's also the load management aspect, the you know looking forward into the playoffs and wanting to keep players healthy. That plays into it as well. We've seen guys like Chris Paul try to be inserted, not by himself, right? But other people have tried to insert him in the conversation. And I love Chris Paul, but that needs to kind of quit too. Uh, Steph Curry, they're they're not even in the playoff picture right now. They're in the play-in picture, but not the playoff picture. I have even said that, you know, if Steph Curry finds a way to be the eighth seed in the play-in tournament with this Golden State Warriors team, this might be the best season that he's ever had. And it still may very well be in a vacuum because there are certain things that happen in that 2015-16 year where he you know, won unanimous MVP. He's been an MVP before that too. He's an NBA champion. How could you possibly argue that this season is more impressive? Well, for everything that I just said, you know, he played with guys like Klay Thompson, a, a younger, healthier, more in shape Draymond Green, Kevin Durant, Harrison Barnes, you know, Andre Iguodala. You don't have cats like this on this roster. I think that this could be a more impressive season for Seth Curry. But back to Nikola Jokic, we find ourselves all the time trying to insert different players in this conversation. Let's just let's just leave it where it's at, guys. Let's just say that Nikola Jokic is the MVP because he deserves to be. He has been the healthiest. He has been the most consistent. Even when Denver was struggling early in the year. And that's something we need to remember, too, when we're talking about Steph Curry is that yeah, the Golden State Warriors have kind of clawed their way back into this play on this play-in tournament. Denver wasn't looking really good at all earlier in the year, but Nikola Jokic was the one constant, and the rest of their team caught up. That's why they are where they are now. We need to remember that when we're talking about what Steph Curry has done late in the year. So we need to, and in this media, like it's our responsibility here at Off the Ball Network, here at Breaking the Game, here on the Nothing But Net Channel on Dash Radio. It's our responsibility to tell that. It's our responsibility to say, you know, enough is enough. Nikola Jokic is the MVP, and not because he just kind of by default gets it. Look, he has earned it, and if you want to criticize his defense, I can reference you to a cool website called Synergy. If numbers scare you, I get that. I understand. They don't just give you numbers. They have a category where it says good, excellent, very good, bad, below average, things like that. Um, If you go to Synergy, and you look up Nikola Jokic's defenses ability and his defensive category, they actually have his defense listed as very good. And he's had a great sample size to back that up. Now, again, I'm not going to say sit here and say that, you know, he's Joel Embiid, Bam Adebayo, Rudy Gobert in the paint, Ben Simmons on the perimeter, or anything like that. But I'm here to tell you that he's not this revolving door that everyone makes him out to be. And even still, look at guys like Russell Westbrook, James Harden, Steve Nash, who have all won MVP because of their offense, not because they were these defensive stoppers. We need to quit with this lazy narrative that Nikola Jokic is either winning it due to injuries 
or he shouldn't win it because he only plays on one side of the ball because both of those things are false. Neither one of them pass any sort of logical argument or critique at all. So with that being said, everyone, I just want to thank you so much for tuning in, putting up with me, flying solo. Hopefully I did everyone proud. Hopefully everyone liked it. Um, I don't foresee this being a constant or a consistent thing. It's more like I wanted to kind of prove something to myself. All these NBA players have had big moments this week. I kind of wanted to do the same thing. I wanted to have my big moment here on the show. And if that makes me selfish, I'm sorry. It's just you want to test yourself, right? You want to see what you can and cannot do. And if I can't do this, I want to learn why I can't. And I want to learn how to be a better broadcaster, a better analyst, a better facilitator of conversation for you, because you guys are why I do everything that I do. But before we let everyone go, I want to let you guys know that you can get 20% off and free shipping with the code BTG at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use promo code BTG. You all know that stands for breaking the game. Unlock your confidence and as always, use the right tools for the job with Manscaped. All right, guys. I also want to turn the attention to Off the Ball Network because it's a great place to be. It's a great place to contribute. Uh, For anyone who is interested, we have great draft content on there where we have discussed the the NFL draft in depth. We have had certain shows where we've covered this. There's a lot of great articles on there as well. I have spoken a couple of times about my coaching hot seats coming into the next season, please go check that out. Again, there's seven coaches on there and I would encourage you to go read that, dissect it. Give me your feedback. If you don't agree with me, tell me why. If you agree with me, I appreciate it. But again, tell me why. Why do you agree? I love that. It helps me to get better. And also, again, I've referenced my top 25 players under the age of 25. Again, that's based on potential, that's based off of accolades, that's based off a of situation, that's based off of who else is surrounding you. There's a whole lot of factors that it went in to determine who I had where. And again, I'm pretty upfront. I have, I believe it's from what, position 12 to 18, where I said, hey, look, you can honestly swap these guys around and make it make sense. But let me explain to you why I see guys where I have them. And I've included some guys and excluded some guys that ESPN had on their list and you know, if you if you agree with that, disagree with that, please go on there, read it, share it, talk about it at the water cooler with your buddies and, you know, tell them to come hit me up, too. But with that being said, I just want to thank you guys so much for tuning in, for listening here on the Nothing But Net channel on Dash Radio. I just want to, again, remind everyone, please go to offtheballnetwork.com for all your sports needs. If you want to follow me on Twitter, you can follow me at Stephen BTG. You can follow me on Instagram at Stephen W. Gillespie. If you want to follow the show in of itself, we have pages for for the podcast on there as well, for the show on there as well. That's at NB or excuse me at BTG NBA on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, all those places. So BTG NBA pod at all those places. And again, go follow Off the Ball Network on those places at Off the Ball Network on Instagram and Facebook and on Twitter at OTB underscore network. And with that being said, on behalf of the Off the Ball Network, on behalf of the Breaking the Game Show, on behalf of the Nothing But Net channel here on Dash Radio, this has been the Breaking the Game Show. I've been your host, Stephen Gillespie, and we will catch up with you guys next time. And as always, much love, everybody. And as my co-host Austin would say, have a good one.